1: Victory Monday. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rick and Tom podcast. Tom Jones, Rick Stroud from the Tampa Bay Times. Welcome to our second episode and a lot of great reaction from the first episode. Thanks for everybody for uh, tweeting us and talking about us. Tell your friends about it. You can find us. We're up on SoundCloud and uh, TampaBay.com, of course, but now we're also up on Google Play and on Stitcher and a lot of people asked today uh, about other places where you can download podcasts, uh, tune in, and iTunes. So that's coming real soon, hopefully within the next day or so. So subscribe, tell everybody, and uh, we'll even come to your house and do the podcast if you want. So, uh, Rick, <laughs> a lot of good reaction today, I thought. A lot of, a lot of people uh, talking about our podcast. Yeah, it was, nice it, it, was, year.
2: it was great right up until the point where they realized that I, I did not have the mic in quite properly, <laughs> and, and so I didn't sound as good as you, which is probably the first time anyone's ever said that, that we've been on the air. Um, but... <laughs> I have the mic now. We are all studio quality, um, just ready to go. And it it was fun. I mean, I kind of like the format. I like the fact that you can go a little deeper dive and stuff and you know it's fun to uh, fun to talk sports, Tampa Bay.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So again, we're on SoundCloud now, at dot com, Google Play, and Stitcher, and then coming real soon to iTunes, uh, which is going to become Apple Podcasts, and uh, tune in. So be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast, Rick and Tom. Uh, Joe Madden Joe, uh, is coming back to town. Rick, he's coming back to town on Tuesday with the Chicago Cubs. Interesting column that's going to be in the Tampa Bay Times it's already up on Tampa Bay.com by uh, Times baseball writer Mark Topkin. I think there's a question out there about what the reception's going to be because that was a large part of Mark's column and Joe Madden in the column said, boy, I'd be surprised if the reaction is anything but positive but Rick, I think there is a segment of the population at least in Tampa Bay or some baseball fans who may not be totally positive about Joe Madden coming back.
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know if... I, I think it would be overwhelmingly positive, first and foremost. It would shock me if, if it was even, uh, you know, really much of a 50-50 mix. But I did see, you know, I saw those comments. I saw people sort of wrote their little vignettes or thoughts and a couple graphs or more. And, and and people compared it to a a divorce, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, someone starting a new family. I mean, a lot of metaphors that, pff, you know, frankly, I, you know, I get... I get fans. I, I understand that when somebody leaves and goes to another place, you know, maybe you don't want them to be successful, right? Um, but he has been wildly successful, and he was he was responsible for whatever the Rays have become, or are, or were. Joe Madden is at the center of that, the very center of all of it. Well, and- what I
1: I think you hit on something, Rick. There, what they what they were, and that's I think that's the issue that Rays fans have. It's yeah. that. They were they were nothing really before Joe Madden showed up. They became really good while Joe Madden was here, and they've fallen off again since Joe Madden's left. Meantime, Joe Madden's off having success somewhere else. I think if there's any bitterness, it's the fact that that there is no success here. That that the nothing's going on. And I'm not. This isn't an indictment of Kevin Cash, although we can get into Kevin Cash. But I think a lot of people are looking at Joe Madden, saying, "Well, hey, life turned out great for you. What about us?" And I think that's where the a bit of the resentment comes in.
2: Yeah, I get that. But he gave them, you know, how however many years he was here. What was it? Eight, nine years? I don't I don't even remember. Yeah, it was
1: like it was like eight um, years, yeah.
2: And so I, I guess nothing lasts forever. That that's a long tenure for any manager just in baseball, let alone with one franchise. And you know, this is a franchise that, you know, watched and allowed and could not afford to keep players. I uh, and and quite frankly and you know, we can go round and round, and people have about what actually happened, but you know, maybe Joe would have left no matter what. He, you know, he got the thing in his contract that said if you know the GM left, which he did, right? Um, he had the opt out if Andrew
1: Friedman left. Yeah, Andrew Friedman left. He had Andrew an
2: opt out, right. an and I get that, and he used utilized it. But I have to be honest, I really don't think at that point, um, Matt Silverman um, or you know Stuart Sternberg. That that they wanted to keep Joe Madden. Now now maybe they couldn't have convinced him. Maybe the same amount of money he he walks. I mean, look look what he was going to right, a young, um, up and coming Chicago Cubs team, with three million fans a year and a a deep deep cast register, outdoor baseball, everything you would want, uh, a young team. So I I know what he was running to, but I also know what he was running from, and and I. And I never got a sense, and Tom, you were around that organization a lot at that time. I don't I think the Rays were just fine when he left. I think they were okay with him going.
1: I think Am I wrong about right. that? No, I no, I think there's something to that because I think if they wanted him to stay, would they would have offered him more money. Exactly. Clearly the Chicago Cubs offered him way more money to leave than the Tampa Bay Race did. Now, did the Rays think he would leave? That that's a question that maybe they would dispute, you know as far as um wanting him to leave or stay. I still think though you're right there. I think there is a sliver of truth in that they were okay with him leaving because I think they knew what was about to happen that that they were going to start the rebuilding project over again, that they were going to get younger and maybe Joe Madden wouldn't want to be a part of that. And I think you make a, a great point Rick in that he went to a what was a better place at the time. I I have left I have left newspapers for more money. I have done it four times, actually, in my career, to go to another place for a So I'm not going to begrudge anybody for leaving a job for more money. But I'm just telling you what the people of Tampa Bay are thinking here. They're looking at Joe Madden, and they're seeing that he was he was our guy. You know, he was the cool guy. So he was the idea. He was the raise identity. As much as we could talk about all the players that came through, Ben Zobrist no David Price. He was – and you don't see that very often. Like the, the California Angels, Los Angeles Angels, they got Mike Trout. And the Washington Natural Nationals have Bryce Harper. It's usually about the player. Albert Pujols for years, he was the St. Louis Cardinals. For the Tampa Bay Rays, as much as we can talk about Zobrist and David Longoria. Price and Longoria, the, our star was Joe Madden. That's what gave the Rays identity. And when he left, it felt like he was ripping. And I'm not I'm not criticizing him necessarily, but to the fans, it felt like he was ripping sort of the soul out of this franchise. He was. The franchise player left, and he left for another franchise. And that's, I think, I think there will be people bitter about that.
2: Well, and and I'm sure there are, and and they may always be that way. I I know there are people that feel that way about players and athletes in general. You know, Um, I think Marty St. Louis suffered from that.
1: That's a great Um, comparison. It's a great comparison.
2: You know, I think think the difference was that Marty St. Louis left a franchise and a team um, that was on the brink of something.
1: And in the middle of the season as well. In the
2: middle of a season, and yeah. I, and I think I think there were the you know the possibilities of them getting into the postseason was was still there. The opportunity was still there. You know, this was an off season thing, and and like you mentioned, the Rays were sort of at this point where they weren't going to hold it together. They were going to have to do some things to sort of start over, and you know, so it wasn't like well Joe left, and that's that's why the Rays haven't been to the playoffs. Although. I mean, I think he was the biggest part of that formula. Like you said, he was the identity of this franchise. What they did, and we can get into what, you know, what is the Joe magic, you know? What is it about Joe Ma? Uh, what is it about that alter ego that worked so well in this formula, in this market, uh, that he can be competitive in the American League East? I think he's a unique manager, and people will debate, you know, how many wins that's worth. Well, Rick, you
1: played the game. How much is a, how much is a baseball manager? I think in football, I think a coach can make a huge difference. Uh, in basketball and in hockey, mm, I'm not quite as sure that they have quite the impact that uh, that they do in football. I think a football coach has a great not a, I won't say a great impact. I, I think they have more of an impact than the other sports. But you played the game. You played baseball at a, at a very high level at college level. How much does a manager impact the game?
2: I think it's different at the major league level, probably than college. Um, probably a greater impact, perhaps in college. I mean, most guys when they make it to the major league level, it's about the players. Having said all of that, um, you know, look, Joe Torre was a manager that nobody really thought much of in Atlanta until he got to the New York Yankees and surrounded himself, you know, with a bunch of young, talented guys, and Derek Jeter and others, and they went on the. And, to and win at the, the, the World time, one hundred
1: fifty dollar, one hundred fifty million dollars, yeah, and payroll. an unlimited
2: yeah. payroll. So, but Joe did it, and, you know, I'm just, just sort of thinking about, to me, his his genius, if you will, um, from a player's perspective was to take guys who are just ascending as major league players, who are just, uh, you know, maybe they haven't had a full season, maybe um, they're, they're, you know, stars sort of on the cusp of becoming um, impactful players. But in a game of failure, in a game that is, you know, where the greatest player absolutely makes an out seven out of ten times, when you have to be focused on process and not results, you know, all those Maddenisms about we're, you know, producers, we're not directors. I can just tell you that if I had had Joe Madden even at any level, um, I'd have been wildly successful because I was someone um, who felt an awful lot of internal pressure? I mean, it's hard to explain. You know, if you if you get to the major leagues or you get to a certain level and you're trying to prove yourself and establish yourself, and it's such a grind. Anybody can have one good month or you know even one good season, but to be consistent and you can hit a ball hard, you know, three out of four times, and if it's caught, you're actually the next time up. You're if you're 0 for three, you're pressing to get a hit, and and there's just no. You know, it goes against human nature um, to not do that. And I think what Joe Madden did was take young players and teach them how to handle failure and success, but mostly failure and how to become consistent major league players. And he did it in his own unique way very well unique. he did
1: the whole thing yeah you know, he did the whole thing he'd bring snakes in he'd bring magicians in he'd right bring belly dancers in they would dress up they go on these road trips where they uh, get all clowned up and everything and people i mean did it make an impact i don't know it's hard to say i, I would rather still have a guy that can you know hit a three two change up but and i sure he a, would have
2: too yeah you know? and now
1: and now how much now how much did he take a team that you know would would kevin cash for example have been as successful or Bobby Cox or Lou Piniella. If they had had the same team that Lou Pinella, that Joe Madden had in 2008, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I do know he was the right manager at the right time. At least they had success after he showed up. But I, I also do think Rick and I look back at this. I think there were some eye rolling now and then when he'd bring the snakes in and I, and I'm looking at some of the guys later. Later, yeah. And I think I, later. I, I don't know in, that in Evan Longoria loved that sort of thing. Yeah, and maybe but you you're know right what? About I that, never that. Heard, young...
2: I never heard him say it in 08 or '09. That's true. When or, he was you know, young, I don't know. I don't know if those eye rolls happen then. I'm sure after you know, you've had so many pajama road trips, so you're probably sick of pajama road trips. I mean, I get it. And, right. and, you know, and he still, and yet he still did it. Now, I think those th- th- are the visible really, things, though, to be clear. To be
1: really clear about this, like, it's not like people didn't go along with it. I mean, other, and I, and I don't want to look like I'm picking on Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria is a team player and he went along with everything that Joe Madden did and had great success under Joe Madden. So it's not like it wasn't to his detriment that these things were going on. But I just, you know, I think, I think that goes back to the point that you're making, Rick, that I think the Rays were, were okay with him leaving and yet, if you look at Mark Topkins story and we'll, we'll talk to Mark on our next podcast I'll try to get a, a few minutes with him and just ask him about it. You could sort of read between the lines that at the, at the same time it's sort of like they kicked Joe Madden out of the house but now they're mad he left the house you know they they're still they still feel a little jilted too. I still think there's part of ownership and upper management
2: really that, why? because yeah. I was, I'm look everything I've heard and I don't have the contract in front of me that they offered him. Everything I heard, you know, off the record, whatever. People that think they know and would have reason to know.
1: What's in Mark's story? It's in Mark's story. They they know about them. They clearly they did
2: not have a competitive offer. You can't in the world of business, okay, in the big boy world of business, if you have developed, and cultivated, and and sort of groomed talent to where it's attractive externally from your organization, all right and you don't competitively try to at least match or come close to matching an offer, then that tells me you're not serious about keeping that employee. I don't care what business we're talking about. I think the business of sports, the fans have an emotional attachment and a regional attachment and all those things, but in the real world, that where does that happen where, you know what, I'm going to stay here because they gave me my chance and I'm going to take half of what i'm being offered someplace else that's right. just not that's not realistic i mean that's how you determine that that's the only signal you have from your boss about what your value is and after no, eight or I, nine and we've years seen,
1: we've seen other coaches in other sports if they're on a sort of a one-year deal and they don't get a contract extension yeah. and they look like they're a dead man walking at that point they're gonna leave and i i understand look i, I go back to this i understand that he had a great offer it, it Let's face it, the Chicago Cubs are a better job. Any any day of the week, any year you can pick, it's a better job than the Tampa Bay Rays. They play in Wrigley Field. It's one of the great franchises in the history of sports. It's one of the most storied franchises in all of sports. You play in, in, a, in a big city where people truly love the game of baseball and truly love that franchise. And, oh, by the way, we're going to give you three times as much money. And oh, by the way, the payroll is going to be four times what you had with your old team. Who wouldn't leave for that job? I I totally get it, and yet I understand the Rays fans who are like, wow, ah, that that was our guy. That's our guy walked out the door. Now I'm not saying I'm not advocating booing him, but I understand the people who are I I understand the people who are bitter, and it's unusual for me to say that because I don't get it when it comes to Marty St. Louis, even though probably Tampa Bay Rays, or Tampa Bay Lightning fans have more of a reason to be upset with St. Louis than Rays fans do with Joe Maddon. I just didn't like the way it went down, and I don't know what it was about it that I didn't like, but it just felt it felt a little uneasy. It felt uncomfortable when he walked out the door. And I don't know if it was because Chicago still had a manager or we didn't see it coming or a Friedman had left. Maybe You're you not pleading
2: said, for the Chicago manager. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean... <laughs> oh, they had a guy.
1: They, well... Yeah. Yeah, I know. You're dating know. somebody
2: else. they were married to somebody else. That never happened.
1: It's just it's, and and here's the thing. And I'll go and I'll here's what I'll say. Joe Madden is tr- truly one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. But he's a legitimately nice guy. He cares about people. His interests go far beyond baseball. I could have I've had conversations. And we're have a great package in in TampaBay.com tomorrow about all of us writing vignettes. And part of the thing I wrote is every time I used to run into him, he'd ask me, "How's your son?" That was the first thing out of his mouth. Every day. I could write a column criticizing him, and I did. I went. I wrote a column one time. I thought he screwed up something, and I wrote a column, and I said, hey, maybe he's not the genius that we all thought he was after all. He sees me the next day. He goes, hey, how's your son? And I'm thinking, he hasn't seen a column. I found out he did. He did see the column, but he wasn't going to be petty about it. And he said uh, he wanted to know all about my, my son. Was a, He was going to school in New York to be a musician, and he thought that was the coolest thing. So I remember having conversations sitting in, the, in standing in the middle of the clubhouse Talking about uh, Miles Davis and John Coltrane, and and was totally fascinated by what he had to say about that more than his opinions on. Can I be Will honest? I'd be, more,
2: I'd be more <laughs> fascinated in you talking about that than anything else you talk about. Miles Davis <laughs> sure. and Coltrane, babe. He,
1: but he's like, he's a really cool dude. Like, it's, it's not fake. He's it's totally not fake. authentic. He's totally genuine. And he's a really nice guy. You've seen him in social situations where yeah. people just come up to him. And that's the thing I, I really respect about him. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be right. the commissioner of baseball. You could be the richest owner in baseball. Or you could be the guy who's sweeping up the sunflower seeds after games. He will treat you the same way.
2: Yeah, and I think that's what you, is unique about him because he never big-timed anybody. And um, like you said, the, the the smallest person in the organization to somebody he encounters Um, you know, on his bike ride on, on Bayshore or whatever, it didn't matter. And he was consistent that way. You know, I'll, I really, I basically fell into covering Joe for one month, you know, um, Mm -hmm. because they needed help on the beat one time. And, you know, I was some football guy in his eyes. He didn't know my background. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he know me as a guy that covered the bucks. And yet as we started talking baseball and he got to know me, um, you know, i gone to some diaspora parties we've had you know birthday parties things like that i mean this is a guy who remembers everybody's name number one he has unparalleled people skills i mean it's incredible um just how personable and real he is and yet his celebrity i mean if you if you think about baseball managers these days um who is who is more desirable uh, from a media standpoint, and and some of that is showmanship on his part. I credit him for creating this this persona, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, not... Let's
1: not get it twisted. I mean, he loves the camera. There's no question oh, about that. He I, does. But I, what's wrong with that? I'm not criticizing. What's wrong with There's that? No, and furthermore, he's not just a guy that, you know, fell off the truck
2: yesterday. I mean, this guy uh, has spent 25 years in baseball without ever getting a chance. He became a manager very late in his life. You know, at an age where few guys get that opportunity, he paid every due that there was to pay. You know, and, and it it seems to me that, you know, he had a lot of ideas, and when he got his chance, he tried them. And
0: say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online, you'll experience the all new cerebral way So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
2: I mean, look at the changes in baseball. You know, when you think about the Rays and their success and, and, and as an organization, I'm not saying this was all Joe, but Joe bought into it. And I think he was in agreement with some of these ideas, but, for example, the shifts in baseball, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that really started to really become the norm, the new normal in Tampa Bay. They did it more than any other team. You know, um, the amount of different lineups and the different, you know, a uh, guys in a slump, let's bat him lead off. And, and you see sort of these things now just real, more or less standard in baseball. Um and I credit him for for having those ideas and You know what I blame I him
1: execute. for though? I will tell you what I'm I'm done with. I'm I'm glad I, there's one reason I'm glad he's called, okay?
2: I know what you're going to say.
1: <laughs> hey, oh we just need to score a couple more points, you know, or he boy he squared the ball up and he hit it to right central. Like nobody yeah. talks about that. Like was that was well <laughs> struck. The ball is well struck. Stop. Okay, just, <laughs> I just I just want to Lou Pinella now and then. Like, oh, you hit the crap out of the ball. That's that's all I want. I don't want. I don't need to. I don't need a new oh, way God. to invent. That's
2: the pitching um, coach.
1: That's the pitching coach. It's uh, but let me, baseball. Uh, good before, God. <laughs> before we uh, before we get off of Joe Madden and uh, and what his impact was in Tampa, let let me ask you this, Rick, because I think there's still a question about Kevin Cash about whether or not he's a good manager or not. And if Joe Madden were still here because his last season at Tampa Bay, they had a losing record. And I think they finished fourth or fifth place. I'm not sure, but they they were well under 500 and they were heading in the wrong direction. If Joe Madden were still here and they made the same moves that they've made, let's say the payroll stayed the same. They brought in the same players. Evan Longoria had the same type of seasons he's had since then. uh, They traded the same players. Would This be a much, would they be in a playoff spot right now? Could Joe Madden have taken this team and put him in a playoff spot? Or is, would he have the same team that Kevin Cash had? Same record. Really
2: hard, really hard question. Um, and it's, we'll never know, right? But I, I don't know what a good manager is worth record wise. I do know that even if you take the Rays record right now, um, you know the difference between being at the top of a wild card playoff and and where they're at, you know, is really about five to seven games, right? Um, you know, and so from that standpoint, I look at cash and there's one sort of consistency. Like he has not had great teams. Let's be honest. I think this year's team was unique in some ways, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're that far. What what we thought they would be, maybe around 500. Um, but having said that, like the last team that Joe managed to the playoffs, I mean, we are talking about Kelly Johnson played ninety one games. yeah Matt Joyce. Mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah you know you had guys, you had you know you had some players, will Myers played in seventy seven games, but you know Joel Peralta, Ryan Roberts, you know, right. Rodney was one of their closers. Sean Rodriguez played in eighty five games, you know, Jamie Wright out of the I mean, he took Jose Lobaton was the backup catcher. Jose Molina. <laughs> I mean, these are not all stars, right? There weren't. It, it's not like he ever took other than 08 and maybe shortly thereafter. But it wasn't like he hit the. You know, the cupboard was full when Joe Madden was here. He had his David Prices and his James Shields for. Well, a time. there you go.
1: There's a the difference. I, I, he did have. I think he did have better pitching than Kevin Cash has, because Kevin Cash's best pitcher is supposedly Chris Archer and Joe Madden his aces were way better than Chris Archer has I'll at give least you the that. way Chris Archer has, has performed
2: I'll give you that but they they couldn't score a run um they played a little better defense at times you know um but but I never I never got the sense. so but here's what here's what didn't happen with Joe Madden you didn't lose 20 out of 25 you didn't lose 17 out of 20 actually I actually I think it was 22 out of 25 well what have you my point is the, what we've seen what we've seen with kevin cash is a inability to prevent a giant slide that knocks you out of everything and again i'm not saying i don't know that this team is completely underachieving if they finish around 500 that might be who they are they got off to a good start at one point though they were seven games over 500 what kevin cash has not been able to do and it might not be all his fault but some of it might be I think a manager has to be creative enough to prevent somehow if it's scoring a run. You know, they had five shutouts, Tom. Yeah. Five major league games in a homestand, I think, where they did not score a run. And there just comes a point where, you know, somebody has to be accountable enough to, or creative enough, you know, to, to, to make that stop, you know, to help that stop. Right. And I don't. I haven't seen Kevin Cash's ability to to rise above these these slides that just seem to just you know impale their season.
1: Well, I, I will say this in defense of Kevin Cash: a couple of things. One, he's he got a manager's job at age whatever he was thirty-seven sure. or something, and at that point, Joe Madden was just basically beginning his career Starting as a bench baseball. coach, you know, mm-hmm. and it was it was another twenty years before he got a a manager's job. The other thing I will say. And, again, this is a total guess. There's no way to quantify what a manager does and and how if he can win games or lose games. My gut feeling is I don't know how many games a manager wins during a year. I don't think many, but I think he can prevent losses. And that's, I think, what the point that you're making there. I think – or not necessarily prevent losses. I think he can be responsible for losses. So he may not – you may not – Win an extra five or six games, and I'm not, this is going to sound kind of awkward, but he may not win an extra five or six games for a year, but he might lose an extra five or six games for you, well, that, and, and that could be the difference,
2: yeah. And and, and look, I, I think we can see the Chicago Cubs and the talent they have, and yet that franchise had had talent before and went a hundred and something years without winning or going to a World Series, um, you know. I you needed I a think... guy
1: like him to break the curse, you know, it's like, you well, need to, he almost embraced it at times, which was a great he, thing. And I that
2: thought. was the other thing. It was, it was about, you know, embracing the suck or whatever he used to call it, you know? <laughs> um, but, but that sort of thing, like
1: that I, was, by I the don't... way, that was going to be the name of our podcast before we came up with Rick and Tom <laughs> embracing the suck.
2: Hey, we might still name it that pal, <laughs> but, um, and, 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 and I'm talking to suck right now. No, um, the, uh, <laughs> The thing about Joe was and, and is if, if it's if it's true that managers that you know they have to have an impact because there are Hall of Fame managers. It can't just be a complete accident that you find yourself as a everybody's cut from the same mold and you just happen to be the guy with a good talent. you know what I mean I mean it, it, there there is a difference, you know what I'm saying i I just believe and I can't quantify it over one hundred and sixty two games, but Joe Madden if he wins another World Series, is a Hall of Fame manager.
1: Let me stop you right there. Let me ask the question. I'll ask you two questions real quick based on the sentence you just gave me. One, will they win the World Series this year? And two, even if they don't, is he, as of right this minute, is Joe Maddon a Hall of Famer?
2: I don't know. Um, that's a cop-out. I think I, I he don't, is. I
1: think he is. I think he is. I, I think and he's
2: going to probably get an awful lot of consideration, and it will be because even though he didn't win in Tampa Bay – he did something that virtually will be looked at as impossible. And I you know, think if he, he had
1: won a World Series, if he had left here and gone to Milwaukee and won a World Series or gone to right. uh, uh, St. Louis or even gone the to the fact, White Sox and yeah. won a World Series, but the fact that he went to the Cubs I think gets him into the Hall of Fame.
2: So, so then is that? would you say that then about Terry Francona? Uh,
1: Francona's a Hall of Famer, yeah. Yeah, he's he, yeah he's, because he yeah. did
2: that in Boston, right? Yeah, but he, and he's also followed and,
1: it up with you know some other he, really good seasons in Cleveland as well. well but he who,
2: took a team to the World Series. He had one in Cleveland,
1: right? Did he? Did he win one or two in Boston? He won a couple in Boston. Oh,
2: right? he might have won two. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, so so that would be what, a that's cinch.
1: what But here's now here's the funny thing. Like Lou Pinellas won one. Well, he's not a Hall of Famer. Now, if he had right. won in Chicago or won any, or if he'd won in Seattle the year Seattle. they won 116 games. He'd be in, but so Joe Madden could get in the hall. I think he will get in the hall even with one World Series. Here's the other thing: I think they might win the series again this year. I think you they do. I don't know yeah. that their
2: starting pitching is good enough. Arrieta I, I, you, being there's hurt. every
1: reason to no. I, there's every reason to believe that the Dodgers are better than them in a series. There's every reason to believe that the Nationals are better than them in a series. And even if they or, get the, or to if the they series, get to
2: the series, the Cleveland Indians Cleveland, could be better,
1: right? But there's something or I the think, Houston Astros or the Houston Astros and Verlander's pitching lights out. I think if I do. I just have a feeling, though. They sort of cruise through the first half of the year, and they know what it takes. And the curse is broken. I think they're going to win the series. I think. I. I have. I just have a, a gut feeling that they're going to get. back And that
2: ahead. will thrill Rays fans even more.
1: Before we uh, wrap it up, you were out at one buck place today, and uh, this was we're recording this late Monday night, so it'll be up Tuesday morning. Um, you were out there and talking to Dirk Cutter, and doggone it, Dirk Cutter, Killed, now, now, what a buzzkill. We got Jason lights jumping in pools. I'm about to jump off the, uh, you know, my uh, bouncy house. I'm all excited about how the Bucks won, and he cancels Victory Monday. Is that isn't that isn't that what happened?
2: Well, kind of, yes. Well, he did. I mean, it's sort of a explain tradition. Explain what Victory
1: Monday. Yeah, explain well, now what that yeah. is.
2: It's a tradition around the NFL like no other. It's it's basically when when teams win, very often, if not always, but very often. Um, They'll come in the locker room after the game and, and hand out game balls and whatever, and a coach will say, okay, guys, see you Wednesday. Because Tuesday in, in a normal week is traditionally the player's day off. They have to have one day off. And typically players that are injured, they still have to go in and get treatment if you've got bumps or bruises or you're hurt. Obviously, you're not exempt. And a lot of guys are have, have you know weight training and things that they have to do. But in general, they'll give you – no meetings, right? You're not meeting with position coaches. You're not going over the game. They start to address that Wednesday morning, and it makes for a longer Wednesday. But Dirk Cutter, um, after this this victory on Sunday, you know, basically did not give them victory Monday, and he had good, actually, rational reasons why. Now, having said all that, because I was talking to Demar Dotson today, and he's like, "Yeah, man, what's with that? You know, Dirk Dirk <laughs> Dirk took away our victory Monday, man," and. And yet they all kind of understood there's a couple things though at play. In addition to the fact that they've been off the last month and a half, you know, because of the hurricane and some guys didn't play in the preseason at the end and all right. that. So how, last preseason game, yeah. it, it, it'd be like telling my kids, you know, Hey, I know you went to school Monday, but take Tuesday off, you know, um, after they've been gone, yeah, but they got
1: weeks. an A on their test on Monday. <laughs> is, that's that's what true. I'm saying. Like, give the day off.
2: That's yeah, true. But this is the tradition. So, there's part of that is that. The other one, he didn't want a longer day on Wednesday because they, they do want to get in, into focusing against a better team in the Minnesota Vikings who they play. Really, the thing is this, that Dirk Cutter was sour. You, you talked to him, Tom. You were, like, surprised. But, hey, man, you don't seem all that happy. You know, you're not that excited about a 29. I mean, how many times do we see the Bucs win 29-6 to six in an opening day anything? Exactly. And yet his thing was, and coaches love this. They love this. They live for this, this, this sort of confluence of events, which which is you know a team goes out there and turns it over four times in the first half and you curb stomp them, and yet you really didn't look that good doing it, especially in the second half. And one side of the ball kind of like dominated, but the other one was sort of meh. And you can go in the film room and you can go, hey guys, you know what? We kind of sucked. Here's yeah. why. Watch this. We didn't run the ball. We didn't finish drives. We fumbled the ball here. You missed the block there um he's got all this and it's the best teaching you can have because they're excited they're sort of up in the bit and you sort of like you know you sort of pour water on them a little bit wasn't well, there a dirt. scene
1: in bull durham when nuke lelouch comes to the bench and he's all excited because he struck out the sides and that was great huh
3: your fastball's up your curveball's hanging in the show they would have ripped you can't you even let me enjoy the moment the moment's over
1: <laughs> and that's what it felt like. Dirk was always just being a wet blanket, just to be a wet blanket, but also to motivate him to hey, this happened last year. We won our opener, and that you and just then hit then we got it. tagged three games in a row after that.
2: They lost three in a row, and they all talked about it. I asked Dirk about it today. A year ago, you won the opener. It was a big win. Everybody was really excited nationally, uh, and then you know you had a tough day.
3: Locally, the were they excited, or just nationally? Well, locally as well. Oh, yeah. good.
2: Yeah. I mean, but you got also a lot of national attention. Oh, which. Rightfully so. Not trying to make a distinction. I'm just I got saying. you. I got you. But but then Arizona
3: was was a tough. And that's yeah, Seattle, disaster. Seattle. Arizona was a disaster. So you, do you think your team, uh,
2: being one 0 as it you know understands even more? I don't know. A lot of guys have been in the league a long time. That it is sort of week to week. Or you think they'll? How do you think they'll handle being one 0 this time?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, you know that'll be one of the one of the there's there's. Uh, points of emphasis every week, uh, you know, based on what the situation for the game is. And I think that's already been brought up to the players, not not by me, but I think it's it's, it's a legitimate concern as we went on the road and uh, you know, we got handled pretty good last year at Arizona. Now that shouldn't have any carryover to this year and I would hope I would hope it wouldn't, but, you know, we know Minnesota's a good football team coming off a loss yesterday, knowing Coach Zimmer, they're gonna they're gonna have their hair on fire and uh, we're going into a hostile environment with a loud crowd at Dome Stadium, and uh, it'll, it presents its own set of challenges, and going on the road is one of those. I mean, we went out there. The, the, the prevailing question, they beat Atlanta, and I swear, uh, yeah, Super Bowl, uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, the box, the box. what do you think? They beat Atlanta. But And then the next week. It was like, boop, somebody pulled a plug on him, And they got beat 40-7 to in the prevailing they question. beat was,
1: so bad that we were yelling, why is Jameis still Why in is
2: Jameis yeah. Winston still in his game? Are you crazy? Yeah. So they went from that to that and then lost two more. If you remember, Denver beat the heck out of them at home. And then somehow they lost to Case Keenum, who, by the way, could start for the Minnesota Vikings this week. That's true. Case Keenum is a buck killer, if you can believe that, beating them the last two times for the Rams. I'm breathless, like Chris Berman. So... <laughs> It, it it's it was it was it was Dirk's way of saying, you know, not so fast, my friends. We haven't right. really done much. And as Dirk said to me today, he goes, Look, we can't rely on going out there the next time and then we get four turnovers in the first half. Like right. at soon at some point, some team is going to make you have to beat them. They're not gonna beat themselves. And that's not defense said
1: You always said too, Rick, that there's there's probably um nothing like the opening week. And for the Bucks that was opening week. To yeah. sort of just throw off your, uh, you know your your gauge on how good everybody is, because if you win, so we're going to Super Bowl, and you lose, we're the worst team in the history of football. And
3: even Dirk said we all have a tendency to be way over the top for the good or for the bad, and reality's somewhere in the middle.
1: You're never as bad as when you lose. You're never as good as when you win, and that's why he wasn't going to let up on them, um, just because they they went out and played a good a game against a bad team.
2: That's right. And they're going to play a better team, and he knows it's going to be tougher. And and I think as a team, they, they you know, look, they lost three in a row. They were 1-3. and They were 3-5. and five. They dug out of that hole. They don't want to be back in it. And, you know, look at the next three games. I mean, we don't know what Sam Bradford, as we say here, but I know the Vikings are more talented with Dalvin Cook, with the receivers they have, mm-hmm. um, and, and playing in a dome and all those things. Then they play the Giants at home, and then four days later play the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. That, my friend, is a difficult road. And if you slip early, if you if you can't keep the momentum of their their win over the Chicago Bears, which is not a great team, then you could find yourself right back in that one and three, you know, my you know mired back in that muck again. And that's what they want to avoid. So I think the team recognizes, and nobody was really complaining about it, but it was it was a difference from last year. But then everything's different after what they experienced with the hurricane and the whole deal.
1: Well, the Bucks are off on Tuesday to get back to work. Wednesday, you'll be out there, Rick. On Tuesday, I will be at a Tropicana Field, talking to Joe Madden, talking to Kevin Cash. You coming out? I'm coming. I'm coming
2: up? with, man. I think I might come out and say hello to all those
1: guys. Also, too, Lightning uh, preseason gets underway. I, they're wow. not getting much love. It's I know. It's I, I'm still not. I still can't believe it's hockey season. To me, it's not hockey season. There's nothing worse than preseason hockey. Sorry, lightning. And it's just <laughs> Oh, really? It's, well, you know what's worse? I got worse. Oh, well. I got yeah, Bucks That's preseason. Yeah. Yeah. And spring training. And NBA preseason. Like games that don't count, sorry, just can't get into them. Hey, do they charge it's, full price? <laughs> I don't know if the lightning do, but here's the thing. Like I don't know who's playing. Like they don't play everybody. Uh, there is one interesting thing though to keep an eye on with the lightning preseason is how much Stephen Stamkos plays, because he's coming off the knee injury. I think they're they're sort of caught in the as middle. Little as little
2: as possible. Can I just tell well, you why would weird. you put that guy on the ice?
1: Well, here's the thing. I talked to John Cooper about this the other day and also talked to Samer about it. He was sort of in between, like, you want to play because you want to make sure the knee's okay and you want to sort of test it out but yet you don't want to play him too much and risk, you know, if he's not feeling well, I think they're going to let Stamkos decide. I think they're going to let him play as often. And here's another thing in talking to Stamkos the other day, I get the sense he's the best he's felt since he injured the knee. He's still not all the way back. I feel like it's going to take a couple of weeks into the season before he, yeah, it's just a sense I get. And we won't know until he gets out there. And even Stamkos admitted until I get out there and get hit. There's no way you can simulate that in in certainly in the scrimmages even that they're having now with the with the uh, inner squad thing, but until you get out there against another guy who's really trying to hit you through the boards, you're not sure how that knee's going to hold up. So that is one thing that'll be interesting to watch during this uh, training camp. So lighting training uh, preseason gets underway on Tuesday night again. Rick and Tom podcast. Thanks for listening. You can even, uh, find us on SoundCloud. And Tampa Bay.com on Google Play. Now we're up and on Stitching and coming soon to iTunes and Tune and subscribe. And uh we'll we'll see you over at the Trump Rick.
2: Sounds good. See you then.